Welcome to the Crow's Nest, the place of the best view on the wind farm service vessel market. My name is Sue Allen. I'm an analyst at 4C Offshore, and this podcast is about the vessels used to support offshore wind logistics. That is crew transfer vessels, service operations vessels, accommodation ships and helicopters. I'm going to be talking to industry experts about subjects close to their hearts, including new design concepts and technology and other changes affecting offshore wind support. Welcome to the Crow's Nest. Um, I'm joined today by uh, Rob Osborne, who is the innovation engineer at Bibby Marine, and he's going to be talking about the decarbonisation of Bibby Marine's fleet of vessels, um, and he's in charge of that. But before we start, Rob, I'm really interested in your job title. You're an innovation engineer. How, how did you get to be that? It sounds really good. Yeah. So my role within Bibby is quite unique, I think, within the engineering market. It wasn't something that I particularly sought out when I was a graduate. So for the background of my of my skill set, I went to the University of Leeds to study mechanical engineering. Uh-huh. And upon well, within the course. I'd always been interested in transportation, particularly with uh-huh. uh, automo- automotive engineering. And along the way, I've become more and more interested in, in the renewable side of things. So particularly right. with wind energy and the like. And so the role at Bibby Marine um, was pointed out to me by my by my dad, actually, who works within the company when I when I started. And initially it was actually uh, it was actually for a bit of of, of interview practice we better not uh, tell them. <laughs> it, it, it was an opportunity that presented itself at the right time and I think it was very unique amongst the other graduate level jobs that he looked at so it was it allowed a lot more autonomy it allowed for a lot of travel and to essentially lead your own path in this new, newly right. created role so, so that's that's sort of how I ended up at Bibby it was a, right. a little bit of a, of, uh, a nudge in the right direction and um, good opportunity that was provided by the role. Yeah, well, that sounds good. It's just interesting how people end up in their jobs. And uh, I think when you're starting out in a career, you kind of start out sometimes with one idea, and then it's, I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now when I was leaving school, et cetera, or at college. It's completely different. But So I know you're in charge of decarbonising the fleet, but, you know, what brought this about with, well, actually, perhaps, can you tell us a bit more about Bibby? Because I know some people listening will know a lot about what you do and your your fleet and where perhaps you're going with it. But can you give us a little bit of background to what's what's happening there and how many ships you have? Of course, Bibby's a very historic company. We started just over 200 years ago in Liverpool. And to this day, we still are headquartered within the city, which is very convenient for me being uh, being from and living in the city. Yeah. And across most of that 200 year history, we've had a lot of, of maritime experience, but a very diversified experience across the board. We've been asset owners, we've been a ship management company, logistics company, and we've dealt with various vessels across all different classes, such as jack-up barges, cargo carriers, tankers. And what that's led to today is uh, is Bibby Marine, where we are, again, diversified from, from how we originally set up, but we specialise mostly with what are called service operation vessels, or SOVs for short, and coastals, which essentially act as close to shore accommodation barges right yeah and within the context of decarbonization all of our assets 
have uh, fossil fuels that, that that feed into their their energy needs. Right at the start of the company, uh, the 200 years ago, perhaps we were a little bit cleaner back then because you'd have had a, an element of, of wind power for the sails. Right, okay. but over time, as as Bibby Line grew and grew into a into a big liner and and sort of being part of the merchant navy at times. Um, the, and the advent of the uh, of steam power and of the internal combustion engine, it meant that we gradually, with the rest of the world, transitioned into into a fossil based society. And now, knowing that if we carry on like this, it will have catastrophic effects for for wildlife and for the next generation of humans. We're again trying to scramble to to innovate our way out of this. And this has been picked up upon and publicised over the last 50 years, but we're only really starting to, to see big leaps and bounds into decarbonisation, I think, over the last five or ten years, really. Yeah. The, has it been led example, by the IMO? Because I know they have a target, but that's, I guess, for the much larger ships, I'm sort of looking at the um, offshore wind industry where you've got, we've got a large amount of so, smaller sort of, I was with the service vessels, a lot of small CTVs, which don't quite come into that yet. But you, it, was that part of the motivation? Is there new regulations coming in through, by the IMO or was it were there other drivers? The IMO regulations certainly play a big part in Bibby's motivation to proactively move away from fossil fuels. But it's inevitable that the rest of the market will follow as it's an environmental necessity uh, mm-hmm. for the maritime industry to transition. What's more come from is that we are operating in an inherently green environment within offshore wind as an SOV operator. So the opportunity is there to become a a game changer um, or provide a game-changing engineering feat through a decarbonised workboat. And particularly, as you say, with the link up with CTVs and SOVs, there's a real good opportunity for those, particularly within the UK, where we've got such a a good geographic advantage for offshore winds Mm -hmm. to start to look at the supply chain across the board to see how we can facilitate decarbonized vessels within the O&M mm-hmm. sector particularly but also how we can apply those lessons learned to the to the larger maritime industry right that's a lot of where our initiatives come from yeah so it's there and um, it's uh, it's unusual well I find that sometimes you get those drivers where people are just looking ahead and trying to differentiate themselves in the market. And then there's legislation coming in. Back in uh, 2020, you started the Wavemaster Zero C project. Is that, uh, what, what can you tell us about that? Or, I mean, I know it's an ongoing project, so you might not be able to tell us too much about it. It's, it, it's all right. It's coming towards the end of its lifespan. So I think I can spill a few beans for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the Wavemaster Zero C project essentially spearheaded our, our leap into, into decarbonisation <laughs> and ultimately come as part of the brainchild from Sir Michael Bibby, who's a sixth generation Bibby family from the founder and is currently our non-executive chairman of the of the entire board. It's very much an, an ambition to to proactively move into a into researching what the what the future holds for shipping. Mm-hmm. And for the reasons that I stated in the previous points, 
it's really well suited for SOVs mm -hmm. to be one of those spearheads. If you look at the operation cycle of an SOV, we go into port every 14 days to refuel and rebunker. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of it, we're staying out in the fields at a, an offshore wind farm, for example, for 14 days, connecting in, in conditions up to three meters significant wave height with the substantial hotel loads on board as well. So if you look at the operation cycles, there are actually some parallels with larger shipping classes such as uh, tankers right. cargo carriers yeah. the, the proper the proper big boys of the field if you like where critically the majority of the pollution comes from if i if i said to you shipping as an industry was only responsible for three percent of global greenhouse gas emissions per year it doesn't mm -hmm. sound like that much but if you were to equate it as a country it'd be the sixth most polluting country in the world more polluting than than the UK, I believe. I think it's nestled between Japan and Germany, uh, countries right. with with tens of millions of people. And what we want to be doing is not only is not only greenifying our operations for the benefit of our clients, but also the communities that we would be operating in. But to hopefully bring tangible lessons learned to heavy fuel oil burning vessels at the moment i think a lot of the direction there is more on reduction of emissions through through carbon capture or through scrubber systems mm -hmm. but i think there's enough of a push whether that's restraints on technology or regulation and legislation to actually change what's getting put into the engines right yeah. some of it with marple 2020 that come in in 2020 however i'd really like to see more of a push over the next decade or so to to start to legislate for proper green fuel so that upon the point of com combustion or energy unit spent that original greenhouse gas doesn't exist yeah so do you see there's a role for more legislation from what i've been reading there's an awful lot of goals and ambitions and aspiration and well no one wants more legislation that sometimes it gets to the point well unless it's legislation you have to do it. it's mandate mandatory that uh, may not happen but um do, do you think it's something where perhaps we could do with some more legislation to push us over that mark i don't think it should be purely about legislation because as you say if you're being forced into an action you're not going to be very enthusiastic to no. to accomplish it so it's got to be a joint effort between those who write the legislation and the regulation and those who would comply under it and it needs to be a, a mutual feedback to understand mm -hmm. what's possible for the different classes of vessels and how we can enforce those uh, those emission or those pollution targets on the back of that and that's sort of what the wavemaster zero c project is looking to target so the aim of the project itself is to find the best suited fuel for the next generation of sovs but also that of medium to large size vessels so within that we consider five fuels that are within the maritime 2050 document the, the clean maritime plan mm -hmm. um, released by the uk governments in the last couple of years and out of them we will be analyzing in an environmental economic technical safety and infrastructure based criteria to determine what makes the most sense as, as a sort of big picture solution for sovs so some of the fuels that we're looking at in particular are hydro treated vegetable oil 
batteries, methanol, ammonia, and a couple of different grades of hydrogen, in particular gaseous, liquid, and liquid organic hydrogen carriers. That sounds like a a big challenge. And are you looking to, I mean, obviously we've talked about the weight, you mentioned the wave master. So you're looking at, are you looking at testing this within an existing wave master or on a new build in the future? Or is this... So concerning the WaveMaster Zero C project, that is exclusively looking at new builds vessels would be to go into the water, ideally before 2030, but in and around that timescale. What we've launched on the back of the WaveMaster Zero C project is a furthered project as part of the Department of Transport's Clean Maritime Demonstration Uh Call, which will look not only to further the chosen fuel for the new builds, but also to understand how we can apply some of the lessons learned from the WaveMaster Zero C project and some green-focused innovation engineering uh-huh. to the current fleet. Because at the end of the day, they'll be in the water for the next 25 years or so, which will take us right up to the cusp of yeah. the 25th when we've committed to being net zero. So it is firmly on the radar and something that I think is, again, a challenge to industry. What we're seeing at the moment is a lot of the charters are coming through for future-proofed concepts, right. but not enough change for the presence. Yeah, I mean, that is a challenge because if you have a, a vessel, um, I know when we're switching, we're talking about switching over to electric vehicles on the road, but their lifespan is a lot shorter. The investments are, I mean, new cars are expensive, but not, nowhere near the level of a, a vessel. We can't be scrapping vessels that are only a few years old um, and being able to operate those with alternative fuels would be one solution. And yeah, it's 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 just such a massive challenge, isn't it? Because you've, I was just thinking that it's not like, you can take the vessel out of circulation because you need to keep it operating because obviously it's got to earn its keep. So I can imagine this is going to be a major challenge for a lot of the um, ship operators, especially, you know, large, large operators like yourself with the large vessels out there, all the SOVs. I know a lot of the new builds coming through, they're talking about being um, hybrid and uh, hydrogen ready, etc. So I guess they are trying to future-proof them. But we've already got a lot of ships in the market and uh, we're seeing quite a few, the walk-to-work vessels, maybe the um, subsea vessels, which are being used for some of the construction work in wind farms, which have been around for quite a few years. But apart from changing the fuel, what other initiatives are going on within Bibby Marine to perhaps reduce carbon emissions that maybe are not involving such a high-tech and intensive research? So it's not only within the, the big sort of engineering scope that we're looking to decarbonize, we're also looking to implement positive change within the way that we act both onshore and offshore, particularly with, with individual behavior. So particularly on board, we've got a, a big initiative at the moment to reduce the single plastic use. Right. And to improve recyclability of the, of the, particularly the consumables on board. One of the ways that we've tackled this with our newer vessel, the WaveMaster Horizon, is by use of a water fountain on board, which can produce both still and sparkling water, which when the vessel is operating just off the coast of Germany, uh, the demand for, for, for both grades of water is quite high. Mm-hmm. But to supplement that, we, we encourage the use of the of the supplied reusable water bottles and and again with um with reusable packed lunch boxes um from our from our catering supplier as well so it's all drilling in about best practices when it comes to sustainable living on board 
Yeah. And it's I guess it's relatively easy to implement and uh, to get people involved in this. And uh, it has other benefits, I guess, with reducing your waste costs, because though there might be an initial capital cost of buying uh, reusable bottles and the water processing system, but then you're not having to dispose of or buy in plastic bottles full of water and then having to dispose of those at their end of use, which it's um, sometimes, you know, that, that taking that hit on the capital input um, but there is a long-term saving there is and it doesn't only come from the capital you've also got a good reduction of scope to greenhouse gas emissions mm-hmm. uh, which are connected to the manufacturer and the transport of these plastic bottles in the first place yeah so by just reducing the consumption i mean across the board really of, of items that, that, that you regularly use you can really help to reduce your your, your emissions as well as having a few more bob in your pocket yeah well, that's uh, always good <laughs> always think you know sorry, as i say i always say if you save a pound on the op- operation costs it's a pound on the profit isn't it it's um it's a straight benefit and how, how do you find sort of the crew and your your passengers and clients are with implementing these changes are they okay with it the crew have been absolutely fantastic when it comes to how we can better implement our, our, our green initiatives on board. We run periodic feedback surveys for the crew of all of our all of our assets. And the feedback that we get for, for what we do well, but also a really honest opinion of where we can do better has been really insightful and really helped to shape how we're going to approach our, our operations, for particularly for the catering in the future. Mm-hmm. So the, the crew buy-in has been really good and I have no doubt it's going to continue as well. So the attitude is absolutely in the right place to to change and to be more sustainable and be more responsible. Um, so no, five out of five. Oh, that's that's good to hear. I know sometimes you, when you're talking about addressing things like global warming, climate change, as an individual, it's so easy to feel very, well, what, what difference can I make? Does it make a difference? Is there any point? And just having the opportunity to be part of the process is, I think, always beneficial. But have you, have you come across any challenges either sort of as a company or which challenges do you think that we maybe need to address or, or wider in the industry? Within the the scope of decarbonising as a whole, there's so many challenges. I think there's more challenges <laughs> than reform at the moment. I think particularly one of the one of the elephants in the room is who's going to front the cost for large scale green engineering technology. Does it lie solely with the end user, or would there be would there be cost associated to us as an operator or would there be reductions for the for for the green um, provider and there's not a single route forward at this stage. It's all going to depend on dialogue between the main stakeholders. I think particularly from my point of view, there would it would be beneficial to have more incentive to transition towards green technology rather than continuing as the, as the business as usual. The fact of the matter is, when it comes to marine gas, oil and other diesel-based fuels, they are really well stocked across the globe. They are a really versatile fuel um, and it's it's cost effective and well known throughout industry for the how to operate safely right. and, and and efficiently. And we need to get to that stage with, with green fuels as well, because at the moment it's not going to be as easy 
especially with the with the knowledge gap that you would need for engineers and maintenance crew on board to maintain the the systems adequately for the infrastructure and supply chains depending on where you are in the world as well for the green fuels available it's all things that diesel's got nearly two centuries of a head start on yeah compared I can see to- that being a challenge just all the safety yeah. procedures alone would be um, a major headache and uh, just and grades of fuel and all the rest of it i mean it's very easy to talk about hydrogen or um ethanol etc but how how is that graded i mean i know even just within diesel fuel there's so many different grades of fuel i mean will that be the same for ships the ctvs take the high grade and you know the bigger ships maybe take the lower grades but uh, will that be the same for all fuel i mean i don't know I'm, my chemistry is not very good i have to say <laughs> i'm glad i'm not having to deal with it but yeah there, there's lots I mean, of challenges to address aren't there particularly as, as one of the immediate analyses from the wavemaster zero c projects and what's known to industry extra to that it's not going to be a silver bullet as our as our Old CEO Stephen Bolton said had uh, had coined the phrase for it's more mm-hmm. going to be a, a sort of bookshop. So depending yeah. on the classes on the operation, you're going to be looking not only at different grades of, of a green fuel, but potentially different fuels altogether. Yeah. So particularly for inland vessels and and smaller vessels, uh, an electric battery system might lend itself well, particularly when it's when it's linked up with an effective charging infrastructure at the different stopping and mooring points. Whereas for a transocean vessel, it might be much more appropriate to put on a, a methanol combustion engine or indeed an ammonia fuel cell with battery uh, backup right. mm-hmm. as part of it. It's going to be a mixture of technologies dependent on, on how we do it. And throughout it, we're going to have to have an honest look at ourselves and potentially modify the way that we do achieve our operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's such a huge a huge feat that's going to be ongoing. The, the, I think the single critical thing for for how we can accelerate this 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 green transition is to be more open with each other to to talk about the challenges cross industry throughout the supply chain so that we can all advance as one and maybe not keep our cards as close to a chest yeah i realize this is a big goal but it's when it's an environmental matter as opposed to a purely economic matter, I think there's more impetus for for larger working groups and for larger knowledge sharing. And it is something that is being facilitated. Um, I just like to push for it a little bit more. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's always a problem when you're trying to talk about something that may give you the competitive edge for the future. And do you really want to share that? But um, I guess I think you put it quite you know very well there about when it when it's economic, it's one thing. But when you're talking about environmentally, we don't work together if there isn't that sharing of some of the knowledge or experience or the lessons learned then we'll not move forward. I mean, the offshore wind industry has yeah, progressed very well and there has been an element of uh, sharing of, of the lessons and uh, trying dealing with some of the challenges, but it's also got that impetus now and that um, momentum to to grow. So the challenge is there, isn't it? Because as you say, 3% of the uh, carbon emissions it doesn't sound like a lot because you think well if you only save half of it which is 50 you know obviously 50 percent of that is a lot but it's only then only one and a half percent of global emissions but the whole point is global emissions are made up of there's not one major source there's many many different sources and it's the actual quantity of emissions that are going out there so it, it's it's a massive challenge and I know there's been talk of getting rid of the um, combustion engine out of UK waters for example which I think is a great aspiration uh, 
but it's a huge challenge at the same time because we need the backup. But I mean, one thing just, you know, I think one thing I'd like to ask is that across all that's been happening, and I know you've been doing this for some time and working, you know, maybe you've been pushing and implementing lots of changes but have you had come across any unexpected benefits from this process that maybe you wouldn't but actually you suddenly think as a company well this has actually been really good is there anything that yeah I, I i think that's been a good bunch of benefits if anything it's been almost universally positive since we've mm-hmm. undertaken this decarbonization work when when the project was first highlighted it was at risk of just being a sort of uh, a back burner if you like right one of sort of projects where it wasn't necessarily going to be noticed even internally, but it was it was a good thing to do. If I could have seen the impact that the that the project would have had on the on the company, but also in terms of 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 drumming about the good news of of green technology when I was setting up the projects eighteen months ago to two years, I I wouldn't have believed the impact that it's had from uh-huh. from my perspective. It's been really critical for understanding as a company at Bibby how are we going to how are we going to tackle the the challenges because they're coming imminently and it will be a blink you miss it moment. So we need to be acting now to yeah. adapt, particularly with Within, within the innovation side of things, we've been recognised um, at the Mezzi Maritime Industry Awards. And yeah, I've seen that. Yes. Innovation Award for, for 2021, um, which huh? was probably about a month ago. So that was quite a good night. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> and, and And on top of the success of the of the Wavemaster Zero Sea project, where we're, we're working with really good partners such as Diamond Shipyards, Lloyd's yeah. Register, ORE Catapults, uh, Holder Limited, to name a few. We've also been able to trampoline onto different projects, again, of a feasibility nature, but hopefully what somewhere down the line it will lead to a demonstration so we're involved with a couple more projects with holder and explio which is essentially a continuation of the zero c project but also looking at the uh, at the current fleet and how we can decarbonize that we're also looking at the implementation of a of a novel sodium-based battery which right. is looking to to reduce the amounts of rare air me- metals within a conventional heavy duty battery yeah um, but it's also looking to to be more sustainable and more cost effective in the way that it stores and uh, and and operates electricity starts with liner energy and the Lancaster University well it sounds like you've still got loads going on and it's just going to grow and grow but it, it's um it isn't such an exciting I think I think I say this all the time it's such an exciting time to be in this industry or being uh, maritime because there's new things happening every week and just even hearing about those just you those few new projects that are coming out of this and uh, the positive benefits from that um well thanks for your roundup of what's happening of um at bibby marine it's really good to get that insight i don't know might be putting you on the spot here to ask you we've got obviously bibby wave master one and then uh, bibby Hori- wave master horizon any and potential new SOVs coming into the market, or is it too early to say at the moment? Or it depends on what time scale you're talking. Our, our, <laughs> ambition, <laughs> our ambition is to have one of these zero emission vessels in the water uh, by the end of the decade, by the right. end of 20s, which is quite a big ambition, I would say. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping when we do put uh, another vessel in the water. It's likely to be part of uh, of of, uh, of an offshore winds O and M contract. It might come in a different form. Right. Uh, I would be hoping that some of the lessons learned from the 
Wavemaster Zero Seed projects will be implemented within the hull of that vessel. And fingers crossed down the roads, we're going to see a few more Wavemasters. Excellent. That's um, what we like to hear. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, thanks very much for that insight. And, you know, thanks very much for joining me here today up in the crow's nest. So we're just trying to sort of find out what's going on across the industry. So, yeah. Thanks again, Rob, from um, BB Marine. And uh, no doubt we'll be seeing more and hearing more from you soon. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Cheers, Bella. Many thanks for joining me here in the Crow's Nest. If you'd like to find out more about any of the topics discussed or about 4C Offshore, please see the show notes where I've included details and links. If you've enjoyed listening to our show today, please subscribe to our channel and get notifications of new episodes. The Crow's Nest is a 4C Offshore production.